School didn't teach us how to be good at love. So I created the Stubborn Love Podcast to help you navigate it. With my expertise in the marriage therapy biz, I'll share insights on topics like sex, money, and rock and roll. Um, I mean, navigating conflict and more. No matter what stage of relationship you're in right now, this podcast is for you. Every episode has actionable tips that will help you create a happier, healthier, and more fulfilling life with the people you love. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe now and join me on this journey of love and learning for the stuff they didn't teach you in relationship school. All right, listeners, welcome back to another episode of Stubborn Love. And I'm excited because we're bringing back another guest that we've had on the show already. Again, Catherine Queering is going to be joining us. And she's going to talk about how we can learn to trust our desires and reconnect to our inner wisdom. So, Catherine, thank you for being on the show today. So excited to be here. Um, tell us, uh, where, where do we even start? Like, this is a big old thing um, to accomplish. Yeah, right. Well, um, would you like me to start with what it feels like once you've accomplished that or some of the things that have stood in the way of us trusting our desires and reconnecting to our inner wisdom. Let's start with what gets in the way. We'll we'll move through obstacles and then we'll get to the finish line. Okay. Sounds great. Well, I think today we're going to focus on how this happens in evangelical circles and religious trauma that comes from that. Um, there are lots of other things like narcissistic relationships and lots of other ways that we're taught not to trust ourselves. Um, that about later if you'd like. <laughs> um, I think often the whole evangelical system and fundamentalist system can mirror a lot of narcissistic traits, and we can talk about that in the future too. Um, but the the three three of the main ways that I've identified that we were taught not to trust ourselves growing up in evangelical subculture and evangelical churches is one we are taught not to trust in or live in our bodies. There's one, this kind of culturalistic, cultural dualistic framework that we're coming from. And then there's a lot of like very specific stuff about the body is not an okay place to be. Um, this to trust God over yourself. And the third one is the desires are bad, evil suspect and do not trust them. So those are the three of the we are taught and learn growing up in an evangelical subsystem that makes it very, very difficult to feel like we have safety or space to learn how to trust ourselves. Ooh, yeah. And so when we're not able to be feeling like safe in our own bodies, safe with our God or higher power that we're trusting and um, being able to like know and accept what our desires are, like it makes sense why people are struggling and why they come find you to help them. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. 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 So let's, let's get started with that first one, like being in our bodies. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that and what it looks like and how to help? Right. So I think the, the first piece of it is that our country and culture in general are pretty dualistic. You know, our minds and our bodies are considered separate and our minds are prized over our bodies. Um, there's a lot of, you know, Christian teachings going back even to the Middle Ages, I think, that 
that talk about some of these things of suspect being suspect to desires and the body and the flesh and like that holds all of these temptations and things that are supposedly uncontrollable. And then our minds are supposedly more pure and with reason and logic and those kind of things. And that was really cemented, I think, in enlightenment. And then that's become such a core part of our experience of the world and of religion that that is kind of the undergirding of all this, right? And then on top of that, um, there are the very specific religious messages about um, your body is actually not your own. It is supposed to be a container for God, right? So that is what I was taught is there's so many verses around you must become less so God can become more. You have to empty yourself of yourself so that God can fill you and invite you are evil at your core and depraved and um, sinful. And the only hope for your redemption is to empty yourself of yourself and invite God in a salvation prayer to come fill you up. And that's what you call born again, right? Is that, um, and I remember really experiencing that as a kid and feeling like I was not allowed to have a self, let alone a body, right? Like I really, I internalized that so young that I know I was dissociating even by the age of seven because I broke my nose and it was because I was really spaced out and dissociated. Um, How do people know when they're dissociating? That's what I was going to ask. Oh, yeah. Um, So it can feel on the spectrum of like kind of this mild, I'm kind of spaced out. Um, So for example, you're listening to um, maybe even this talk or a lecture or um, watching TV or talking with someone. And all of a sudden you realize, oh, I missed part of what they said. That's this dissociation or spacing out. Sometimes our brains need that time to kind of just calm down if we haven't had enough space to process. And sometimes it's because there's so much going on internally that our attention shifts to whatever emotional or mental kind of thing we're processing internally. And sometimes it's because what's outside feels too threatening or scary or triggering. And so then our body kind of shuts that off. Um, So there's a bunch of different reasons Okay. Yes. Yeah, this internal preoccupation. Like I can't do myself and have to make sure I'm okay. Um, yeah. Under hypervigilance. And I remember a really distinct difference before I realized I was um, not, that I was evil. Like that before that I felt really free and I felt in my body. I remember just being free and dancing and having fun and like living in myself. And then after we had, uh, um, like, I think he was called like a children's evangelist or something come speak at our church that basically put this at the level that kids could understand that they were depraved sinners and they needed to pray the sinner's prayer. They're going to go to hell that I was like, Oh gosh, I thought I was okay with God. I thought like I was just following God and everything was great. And then all of a sudden I'm told that's not true. And that was one of the first times that I remember really feeling like what I know inside, this religious authority is telling me is not true. And I am supposed to trust them over myself so that I am saved for eternity. And that shifted a lot inside for me. And that's when I started having more dissociation and, and really very specifically saying, I have to empty myself out. 
in order to let God fill me up. And that was excruciating. And I remember it feeling excruciating at the same time that I felt like I had to do it. And then one of my next memories of that was always having to be helpful and that that was what a good Christian would do. And so not being allowed to have any boundaries around that. Like I always had to be generous giving to my younger sister, even if she wasn't that way back, I didn't have a right to request those things or say those things for myself, right? I had to always be giving no matter how somebody treated me back, which is just quite a recipe for people pleasing and codependency. So that's another like trail that we could go down at some point. But it, it comes out of this, you're not allowed to trust yourself. You're not even allowed to live in your body, right? Like living in your body is expelling God. <laughs> and your whole self is sinful. So why would you do that? Um, so really anything related to like who you are is not allowed. And so we dissociate to like deal with not being able to feel like we can be ourselves. Right, right. And we end up exiling a lot of parts of us um, in order to meet that external requirement. Yeah. So last time I started talking about the different parts of us inside, um, according to the internal family systems framework. And the part that I didn't mention is the exiles. So those are parts of us that hold a lot of wonderful potential and experiences and are often very young. And so that they don't keep getting hurt um, or that they're not exposed and vulnerable, we exile them, right? Or we know that they might be dangerous to us fitting in this system. So I got rid of any embodiment, sexuality, anything that was assertive or aggressive or not according to these certain values that I was told were okay. Um, and I was with the only person that I let live and be aware of. and everything else got exiled. So even for me, the parts of me that hold held pleasure and desire, sometimes they could be there, but if they were in competition with any sort of religious issue, they got shoved into the closet too. I'm like thinking about the exiling these parts of us that basically are not fitting the mold of what the church religion wants. Right, right. Yeah, okay. And then when people do allow those parts to come out, they get shamed, they get disciplined, they get, they say, you know, people call them evil. They're sent to awful like Christian schools and boarding schools that, you know, say like, we're disciplining you in the name of love, but it's really abuse. Like those are the, some of the religious, like extremes of religious trauma that I've heard, um, but they're not uncommon. Wow. Okay. Um, is there anything uh, more to say about like what, what happens when we're disassociating? This is fundamental thing of I'm not, it is not okay for me to live in my body and that I am my body. Like even a step further than that, right. Is that, I am my body. I'm not just the separate soul inside, um, rattling around inside a body. Like I am my body. And so all of these cues that we get from our bodies and the way that they hold stress, that is us. And that's parts of us giving us information. And that is part of the like spectrum or trajectory of healing is this like, oh, is there permission to even be in my body to be a little bit more present, to be a little bit more aware of all the parts of me and all the, you know, sections of my body, right? Some parts might be a lot safer than other parts that might be holding certain emotions or certain experiences. Uh, this is why embodied 
practices can be really helpful, like yoga or, you know, dance or things like that, where people are able to be in their bodies in a safe way. I know my first experience with yoga, when I did hip openers, I just started crying because I hadn't been able to be aware of that part of my body. Um, and it was really healing. So that is part of the trajectory of healing too, of like, can we experience our bodies in any way? Can we live inside of our bodies? And then can we even really embrace this reality of that I am my body? Yeah. Right. And get rid of this duality that I have my mind and a body. Mm-hmm. We can help ourselves with a healing journey, like through em- more embodied practices. Mm-hmm. What what else can help us, like healing this part with the dissociation related to uh, religious trauma? How else can we help that? There's a lot of embodiment work being done out there, and so I would say, you know, like one of my favorite books that I read recently is "The Wisdom of Your Body" by Hilary McBride. Um, there's tons of embodiment coaches. I do embodiment work in my therapy, you know, trying out some of these things of, can I experience my body? Can I be in my body? What is it like? You know, and when I'm dissociating, what's just being aware, like we were talking about last time of moving from judgment to curiosity of like, what feels too overwhelming? What am I trying to protect myself from? And how can I heal that? Right. I don't have to force myself to be present for it, but how can I like be aware and start healing that? Yeah. So question, like in the um, last episode we did together, we talked a little bit like this exercise of kind of trusting ourselves with, okay, knowing what foods we like and we don't like, and we can feel that in our body. So is that an embodiment practice too? Absolutely. Yes. Mm, okay. Sometimes more meditation, like meditation kind of things can foster this separation instead of being in your body. But right? so like whatever kind of transformational practices you're doing, see if they're ones that can help you be a little bit more in your body rather than taking you out of your body. Right. So for me, I don't actually do just sit down, listen to meditations very well. I have to do moving meditations. So I do things while I'm walking, while I'm doing yoga things like that. Um, as well as just being able to like be aware of, can I touch my hands together or can I touch the floor and be aware of my body doing that? Yeah. Okay. That is really cool. I didn't, I don't know why I didn't think about, um, meditating and using your body with movement rather than just like sitting still how we normally think of meditation. And, and this could be like an actual practice where we get in touch physically with ourselves. Right. And I'm guessing that, you know, this may still be part of my lack of embodiment trauma, dissociation trauma, that just sitting and meditating is hard for me. It may just be neurodivergence. I'm not sure, but that's never really worked for me. Even deep breathing was really triggering. And so I just want to mention that in case anybody else feels that way, um, that it's, that's okay. You can find other ways to be embodied another practice that really work for you. Okay. All right. So that's relieving. All right. So that's how to help get more in tune with our bodies and accepting that we are our bodies. Shall we move on to the next part? Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. So you mentioned the a big part of being brought up in that culture is like you need to trust God or authority over yourself. So can you help us go more into that? 
Yeah, absolutely. There's so many facets to that. So I'm going to try to remember all of them. But if I miss one that somebody is like, oh, that, that, that one hit me, let us know. One part of that is this verse that is a hallmark verse that like, I think just about everybody's heard Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So trust the Lord over um, with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways, trust him or submit to him and he will make your path straight. So like this is enshrined in so much of what we're taught. That is a hallmark verse that everyone, I think just about everybody memorizes. You could tell I just rattled that off. That you are not supposed to trust yourself. You're supposed to trust God over yourself, right? And anytime there is a discrepancy, you have to trust God over yourself. And if you're not, you're sinning. <laughs> is the language around it or you're rebellious there's a lot of talk about being rebellious and even the like supposedly supportive groups in these situations they're called accountability groups they're like accountability to be doing and thinking the right things not support groups to really help you get through life right and i think when i was in that system i was the most support i got so i thought of them as support groups but like you couldn't get non-judgmental support at all. You couldn't ask certain questions. You couldn't believe certain things. Like um, you couldn't be struggling with certain things and mention it. Really, all that was safe to mention is like, I, I know someone who's sick. Let's pray for them. <laughs> Any sort of struggles were considered sinful or you're not trusting God enough or you just haven't gotten to the place or he's testing you. Like there's just so, there's so many unhealthy interpretations of that, I think, understanding our experiences. Am I getting it right? If like, is it like the mindset of, well, gosh, if you're struggling, um, you're not, quote, Christian enough, and uh, you should be a better Christian. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or if you're feeling that long enough, it means you probably aren't a Christian and you get saved again or recommit your life or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And there was also this language around anything that God called you to, you probably wouldn't want to do. So I remember there being a lot of like <clears throat> invitations to calls to ministry, I'm putting some quotes, right? Of like any sort of um, work within religious setting of the church or sharing God's message or whatever. So missionary work or being a pastor or whatever that was, the assumption was you were going to fight against it until you submitted to God, but nobody actually wanted it. That was at least the setting I grew up in. That was very different than um, some other people I've heard in settings that weren't such like high control settings. But that was the message that I got repeatedly over and over and over is that you surrender to the call ministry. You surrender to God. Like it was never something you wanted. <laughs> yeah. And that you knew you were doing something right if you didn't want to do it. Like how confusing is that? That instead of being able to trust those impulses and desires and information inside of you, you have to say, oh, well, that means that's wrong. That means I'm wrong. what God says instead, right? Or always have to have this hypervigilance and like double check around, am I doing the right thing? Is this God's will? Is this what God wants? And this sense that there's this like fixed timeline of things that God wants for you and you have to figure them out like a puzzle instead of you get to explore and just experience your life, which is really, um, I think breeds some like OCD and hypervigilance and things like that too. That's not very good at 
you're again checking with its outside source instead of being able to trust yourself. Yeah. And I'm just thinking that like this perpetuates a belief for people going through this that like they're just always going to be in a one down position where they're not smart enough. They are not Christian enough, good enough. They are not like enough in all kinds of ways. So it, it just like completely wrecks you. Right. And you're supposed to be helpless. Like I can't, I, I used, I still am. I was gonna say, I used to be triggered by Christian songs. I still am. Um, and I've been trying, you know, trying to piece apart. What are the reasons why? What are the themes? And one of them is that you are supposed to think of yourself as a worthless person and God came to save you. And you always have to keep repeating this reality about yourself that you're helpless, but God came to save you. You're worthless, but God is your worthiness, right? That like, you're not allowed to have any worth as a person on your own or trust yourself there or um, celebrate yourself or any of that. Oh, that touches me. That's, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. To, to think that, you know, we can be conditioned to, to think like this and in what we think is a supportive environment, right? Because we're surrounded by people who we think we're, we're trusting, who we think are good for us. And then, you know, realizing that's not the best thing for us. And I mean, I think most of the people that are in the system and perpetuating it, they're doing it because they believe it and they care about you, right? Their intentions are generally good and most people are not malicious in their intentions, but they're in a system with these really distorted beliefs in this high control environment that perpetuates this fear and anxiety and control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I know we're going to get to talking about um, desires too, but is it separate in like how we learn to uh, trust our self over like this authority? I know we went into it in our previous episode, but is there anything um, else particularly about, okay, how do I um, navigate this power imbalance where I believe that God is superior to me and I don't have any, you know, advocacy for myself? Right. So um, I'm going to mention three things if I can remember them all. One is this sense of enshrining the nuclear family and the authority of the parents in the nuclear family. So that's another layer of like enforcing this authority. And I definitely experienced that. And I had like pretty warm, caring, responsive parents. So um, in some ways they you know, lightened the stress of the system, but in other ways they were in this system. And I really felt that in the sense of like, I had to put everything out in front of them that I was thinking um, and then see what they thought was the right thing. And then I'd pick that one. Like I didn't make any choices or assertions about things that I thought might have any religious or moral undertones. Like there were other things that were pretty innocuous. It was like, I can choose this after school hobby, or I can choose this. I had a lot of freedom and like self-awareness around that, but other things like you have to put it out there and see what the parents think because they're the authority. And if I disagree with them, I, my mom literally told me once, um, if you're not right with me, you're not right with God. And that was just because I was asserting myself and like trying to have my own beliefs about things, right. That it's just so, ingrained in the way that they think they're supposed to protect us, right? Like I, I know that it came out of goodwill and like wanting to protect me, but it also really curtailed my ability to trust myself. And I also did not have a sense that they trusted me in these areas, right? 
they had to know what was best for me and figure it out and tell me what to do. Right. And so that's a lot of this self-trust awareness comes out of like, I can trust myself to make those decisions. I don't have to prove it to anyone in authority and make sure that they agree with me. Like, what if I just stop having to prove it to anyone? I'm like, it's okay. As long as I feel like it's important, then I can, I can step out on that. That's, that's part of the healing of that part of that. And of course, I forgot the other things I was going to mention there. But if I think of them later, I'll mention them. (laughs) Yeah. No, I did remember one. One is like a bigger, grander scale um, thing of how this subculture teaches that the authority of the scripture and reading it literally is so crucial to believing God and being a Christian that if you don't, that probably means you're not a Christian or you're not right with God. and. That has been something that the the Bible has been weaponized in this way um, over time. It was weaponized in this way with slavery as well, that all the verses about um, being slave owners and just being gentle, kind, like slave owners um, was upheld as um, the literal word of God, right? And because of that they use the Bible to defend slavery and to defend racism and defend white supremacy. And we still see that legacy in evangelical circles, right? That's like rearing its head um, and being way more overt than it was for many years. That was just kind of under the surface. Um, not as obvious to white people, but definitely obvious to people of color. Um, uh, you know, even uh, the book, um, White Fragility by Robin DeAngelo. She talks about um, the, the movie The Blind Side. And that was just so eye-opening to me of that expresses so much paternalism. And to me, that is just such an encapsulation of the kind of evangelical culture I grew up in. And also like what Ron DeSantis maybe like represents now, right? It just feels like exactly the same thing of like, this always felt a little bit off to me or a little bit wrong, but I didn't know why. And it's because of this white savior mentality. Um, so I didn't mean to get off on that too much, but that's, that's part of this picture of how the authority of scripture, which is the term that they use a lot, that like we have to be under the authority of scripture, um, that it's actually a weapon and it's actually control. It's not actually about believing God. And so now it's used against homosexuality and against abortion and against so many of these other like social um, human rights issues that really it doesn't have to be about, but it's become this litmus test and it's become a weapon, right? That I think understanding the legacy of how that's been used as a weapon over time is really helpful and being like, I really don't have to listen to that at all. That's just, <laughs> there, there's no reason to have to dissect all of those like um, verses that people use as bully verses. And understand that. So that's a whole, it, it's so entrenched in how white supremacy and control and domination culture have been mm-hmm. in our world, right? Yeah. So there's this like external domination and there's this internal domination, right? Which is what we're feeling. Yeah. You're not allowed to have self, you're not able to trust your own desires. Mm hmm. I think we can like take an even bigger dive talking about the white supremacy and oppression of 
like people who are not quote fitting into the church in the terms of like if you are not like us you can't be like us and you are wrong for not being like us um so we will definitely have a lot more to talk about in the future on that um so we have um this last part here talking about uh you know we can't trust our desires um in the church so talk a little bit more uh, about that i i have a bunch of things written down that i like different inputs and messages that I heard in the church about this that I think are interesting that there's just so much input about this over time. I remember hearing like trust in the Lord with all your heart. There's a a hymn that says prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart. Oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. And like this sense of, I can't trust my heart to lead me to God or the divine or whatever I want. Like I have to be suspect of that and always think that I'm going to be going the wrong direction, right? That my, and this keeps being said over and over that any desire, any impulse that we have is something that we can't trust and something we should be suspect of. And then we have to come back to this external authority to tell us what's right and what's true. And over and over saying, we keep having to like renounce our desires or, um, they're considered rebellious or evil or sinful. I mean, I remember there's a like train analogy that was used a lot um, growing up of like the front of the train is your thoughts and your logic. And that's what's supposed to drive the train. And then your desires and feelings come after that. And they're not to be trusted. They're the caboose. They're just kind of following along. And, you know, if there's any disagreement, you need to trust your logic. <laughs> Do not trust your emotions. They're always going to lead you astray is basically what I remember hearing, like very overtly. Um, And then, you know, there's so much with, there's so many different types and levels of desires, right? There's just the desire for rest. There's the desire for playfulness, desire to not take yourself so seriously, the desire of like what you want to eat or what behaviors you want to do or things like that, right? That, um, are so great to have freedom and space and ability to listen to. That's what gives us life and vibrancy and balance in our lives. And instead we were supposed to consider all of those as suspect or evil and only rely on the parts of us that um, were seeking godliness or seeking to further the kingdom of God or evangelizing or whatever the missions of the church were. Like that's what you were supposed to spend all your energy on. And if you had any emotions come up of shame or anxiety or depression or things that now I would label as trauma responses, right? Or stress responses, they were signs that you were not doing the right thing. And you're supposed to double down and push harder and try harder and trust God more. And like all these just do it kind of language. Um, And then I can see how it's so easy to not trust our internal voice of like the inner critic coming out when, you know, we we screw up and then we're like, you know, pushed by external factors of like, okay, you didn't do that right. Do it harder. Push yourself more. And then the inner critic is just going and going and going. Right. Exactly. And you're supposed to listen to the critic, (laughs) right? Instead of your desires. Yeah. Um, You know, we... We've been talking about the the IFS internal family systems framework of parts and the three the three main parts that they mention are the managers that are like do it better, work harder, try harder. They 
help you prevent pain or achieve whatever you think for need for success. And then there's the parts that we, um, they call the firefighters, but in their healthiest state, they're actually our desire holders. So they're the parts of us that help us distract, relax, avoid pain, bring like tone that down so we can feel better and find just pure desire and pleasure in life. And those are such wonderful parts of us that basically just get villainized, right? And so part of this work of healing is being like, oh, actually those desires are good. I can pay attention to those. I can have any sort of desires that I want and that's okay. Um, And then both of those sets of parts are protecting the exiles underneath that are holding pain or that we send away because we don't think they're going to be accepted, that we get to bring back and heal as well. Um, And then our core self that leads it all, that has our inner knowing. Um, But I just say that to say, I think like embracing that these parts of us with our desires are actually such a vital part of our well-being and a vital part of us that we get to go through that framework of trusting yourself that I mentioned before too, of like moving to curiosity about them, to befriending them, to being able to like have them as part of the team and trusting them and trusting us. And, um, you know, there's, it can be a lot easier to trust little desires, I think sometimes. And then we keep moving towards these bigger things of like, you know, there's the whole section of desires encapsulated in sexuality, right? And that goes to both embodiment and desires, right? That has been so villainized um, when really that is such a life-giving part of us to be able to live in that and express that in any part of that be okay um, can be really healing. Yeah. Well, uh, what I'm being reminded of, and I can't remember what you were saying about it, so I want you to talk about it again. <laughs> um, but before we got on here, we talked about um, pleasure and how that's that's not really um, something that's accepted right. in 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 yourself in your body things like right. that. Right, right. So one of my early memories with a even a pretty innocuous pleasure was. Um, we were supposed to do devotions every morning. So that means like quiet, quiet time with God. It was called our devotions where you read the Bible and you pray. And that was essential in order to maintain a good relationship with God, this codependent relationship that you're supposed to have. And the message was that if you didn't do that and you felt some distance between you and God that you weren't right with God and that had like eternal ramifications and you had to change that and you had to like, do all these things to get God back on your side, basically, or like make it up to him or make it okay. Um, And so there are pretty big consequences to that. And a lot of reasons to say, I need to do this every day. (laughs) Um, And so I remember one Saturday morning thinking like, okay, I need to do my devotions, but also the cartoon that I really want to watch is on. Like one of my favorite shows that brings me so much just rest and rejuvenation and playfulness in my body And I chose to do my devotions instead because I wasn't sure if I would get to them any time in the day. And I sacrificed the pleasure for the discipline. And that was always rewarded. I remember even being proud of myself at that point, or even though like a part of me was just devastated and shut away, right? That that was really a shift inside of me where my managers really took over and there really wasn't that much space for pleasure left. And that kind of 
just impulsive. Oh, this is something I want to do that's really lighthearted and fun and feeds me. Everything was managed down to the second. I mean, I remember in college, I had verses verses of the Bible on a little um, key ring that I would try to memorize or read between classes. Like I did not even give myself space between classes to just have freedom of thought (laughs) and space. It was just accomplish, 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 do more, do more, do more, which is part of our culture and part of this religious framework for discipline and upbringing and, you know, like always choose the managers, always choose the um, better yourself, um, the discipline, not the pleasure when really, and then my body had so much anxiety and so many like physical ailments that it took, oh my gosh, I need the rest. I need the pleasure. That is a part of me that I've had to work really hard to reclaim now, um, but has been so moving and refreshing. Yeah. So the um, part with the desires, is it more so of just basically recognizing what we're truly wanting um, in in starting to to work with that self-trust again and going into, oh, well, this desire might be all right. Or or what is the process of like, yeah. Yeah. I think it kind of starts with this space to be curious about and let those desires arise without shutting them down. Right. And then if we notice we're trying to shut them down, can we take care of those parts of us that are criticizing or trying to shut them down or trying to control them and ask those parts of us to like step back and trust us a little bit and then have some space to be curious about the pleasure. Right. Like, yeah, that sounds like that might be really good for me. What is that going to feel like in my body if I give myself space for that? Right? Does that feel like rest? Does that feel like relief? Does it feel like just pure joy, pleasure, ecstasy, whatever that is? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Because so many of our experiences come through our bodies and our emotions. And that pleasure comes from that. Yeah. And it might be a really simple thing like, yeah, I'm going to take a little extra time to rest before going to work today, or I'm going to leave early, or it might be like, oh, I'm going to, you know, try out this new sexual kink. Like who knows? Like it could be anything. Yeah. Yeah. And being able to practice that and do those things that bring pleasure without that judgment or shame from our inner critic. Mm. So healing. When we think about religion. Um, and this could be again, probably another whole episode that we can do. Um, how, how can we know when we're in this, if we don't know that this isn't really good for us? Um, cause, cause right. What you said with disassociating, we don't really recognize it's happening. We just space out. So like, are there red flags that people should look out for? Because there there are some, you know, experiences in religion where it can be beneficial for people and it can be um, healthy. So how do we recognize that? Uh, the biggest thing to look for is if it's a high control environment or not. So in a high control environment, you're um, supposed to trust the leader or the like authority figure and Um, you know, we might be most familiar in thinking about this of like sensationalized cults that we've heard about, right. Of this one magnetic charismatic leader, but it can also be this whole set of beliefs that you are supposed to live by. Like we've been talking about in, um, fundamentalist and evangelical circles where 
you have to be and think a certain way and you have to turn off other parts of you and other ways of knowing. Anytime you hear or sense that in your body, be like, ooh, that might not be good for me. This might not be the right place for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And any places where there is more exploration and more curiosity and more trust of yourself and more space to get to know yourself and from there connect to the divine and connect to God, um, that's going to be a space that's safe because you are allowed to flourish and trust yourself and be a whole person there versus you have to cut off certain parts of you or exile them or distrust them in order to survive there. Mm-hmm. I love how you put that um, in such a clear and simplified way for people to picture of, ooh, is this right for me? Or am, am I, you know, leaning on that other side where it's really high controlled environment? So thank you for explaining that. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Um, so are there any other things that our listeners need to know about trusting our desires and reconnecting to their inner wisdom? I think just keep coming back to this possibility of like hope and life and joy and freedom and choices that we have inside of us. And any place that you find that calls that out, do that more, (laughs) listen to that more and start practicing that for yourself and then try it out, you know, in your circles and your relationships and see how that goes there and how people respond. just starting to kind of notice that for yourself that we talk about of, oh, this is desire. Can I have space for it? Can I learn to befriend it? Can I create space for it in my life um, to have more of that there? Yeah, I love that. That's a fantastic uh, guidance for people to start practicing today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Catherine, uh, it looks like we are at the end of our time today. Thank you so much for hopping on here and uh, talking about these really important things that not a lot of people uh, are open to having conversations about. So this is really tough stuff that you're bringing up and you're sharing with people. And thank you so much for that. Yeah, you're so very welcome. It's my pleasure. Yes. And that's what I was going to say. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. So looking forward to more episodes with you. Sounds great. Thanks, Paige. All right. So we will have all of Catherine's links in the show notes so you can check her out, read her blog, hop on her email list, or grab one of her freebies. And um, until next time, take care.